We're wrapping up a series today that we've called Dying to Live. We sang a song earlier this morning, He Makes Me Come Alive. We kept repeating that, He Makes Me Come Alive. We've been looking at a series about, this series is all, it has been about how through knowing Christ, God brings us alive to know Him and to know His reality. And you know, I can't think of anything that's more important than knowing God, than knowing His life. And that's the topic of a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus in the third chapter of the book of John. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. We're just going to walk, work, uh, walk our way through this passage together. In verse number one, it says this, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish, a, a Jewish religious leader, a Pharisee. Now, there's one thing that John wants us to know about him, about Nicodemus. He was a religious leader, but he was more than that. He was a Pharisee too, which means that he was a very, 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 I could keep on going, about a hundred varies, a very religious guy. In addition to the Ten Commandments and the 600 or so other laws in the Old Testament that God gave human beings to, to live morally by, They added thousands upon thousands of layers of other rules and religious regulations, layers and layers of uh, rituals and religious ceremonies that they, they wanted to do everything humanly possible to make sure that they, they made it into the kingdom of God. They, I mean, there were, no, there were no people so religious as the Pharisees on the face of the earth. They had all kinds of crazy laws. One of them was on the Sabbath day, it was the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments says, you know, that we're not to work on the Sabbath day. So they, the Pharisees carried stools with them. And every ten steps or so, before they could work up a sweat, which would be called work, they would take a seat if they were going to travel anywhere on the Sabbath day. Uh, they were obsessive about washing their hands. They had hand-washing rituals throughout the day that were just way crazy. Uh, when it came to tithing, they not only tithed their money, but they wanted to go beyond that. They would, if they planted a garden, they would even tithe their garden, which meant that they would go out and count every plant in their garden and then make, to make sure that they took 10%. So if they were planting tomatoes, I don't even sure that tomatoes grow over there, but they wanted to make sure that 10% of those tomatoes were given to God. Why is that? Because they were putting every effort into making sure that they were going to get into the kingdom of God. Now, verse number two. John wants us to know something else about Nicodemus. And that is that Nicodemus deliberately timed his visit to Jesus to be after dark. Verse two says, after dark one evening, he came to visit with Jesus. Now, Nicodemus had a positive view of Jesus, but he came at nighttime, I think, because he had not yet made any kind of a commitment to follow Jesus. He was still trying to check Jesus out, and uh, so he didn't want anybody to think, by approaching Jesus during the daytime, he didn't want anyone to think that he was getting sucked in by this new Messiah on the scene and that he had become one of his followers. He was playing it safe, and he probably came to Jesus that night with a whole list of religious theological questions. 
He probably also wanted to know where Jesus stood on all, <clears throat> on all of the rules about being righteous before God. So he begins the conversation like any good conversation begins. He began with a compliment. And this is what he said. Rabbi, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, whenever someone compliments you, how does that make you feel? A little bit awkward sometimes? And how do you usually respond to someone who really pays you a nice compliment? Well, I probably say, man, I, I really appreciate you saying that to me. That really encourages me. That means a lot. But that isn't what happened here. Not even close. In fact, there's something really funny that took place here. We call it a non sequitur. A non sequitur is a reply to a statement that has nothing to do with the statement at all. It's like a random statement just drawn out of the blue. I don't like all of the material that comedian Jim Gaffigan uses. Okay, I don't like all of his material. But there is no one who is a greater master of the non sequitur than comedian Jim Gaffigan. Because if you've ever seen him, he'll be standing up giving his monologue, telling a big story, it's getting to the punchline. But halfway through that thing, he just divert from that, and then he'll, he'll focus on a person in the audience, and then as if he's getting inside their thinking, their brain, and he'll begin to sort of state what he thinks this person's thinking about him at that very, at that very moment. So you've got two different disjointed things going on at the same time, and it all ends up being really funny. That's sort of how he makes his money as a comedian, non sequiturs. You know, Jesus did this stuff all the time, if you read through the Gospels. And I can imagine the disciples, if they happened to be close by that night when Nicodemus came in, I can imagine after hearing his opening compliment to Jesus, those guys punching themselves at one another in the ribs and saying, oh man, you guys, okay, this is going to be good. Let, let's just listen to what Jesus has to say to him. Okay, so let's, let's listen. Here's what Jesus replies. Okay, remember, now remember, he's just, he's just said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody could do all these miracles unless they were sent by God. And Jesus replies this way. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with what he said. Like there's no connection whatever. But if you read the last verse of chapter 2, just before Nicodemus shows up, it says this about Jesus. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. You know, Jesus had this uncanny ability to go past all the small talk and all the smoke screens that we set up and get right down to confronting the human heart. And you know what? He's here doing that with you and me this morning, too. He wants, to, he wants to cut away all the fluff. He wants to cut away all the junk and all the garbage and all the evasive tactics we throw up there. And, and the Lord is here to confront every single one of us heart to heart this morning, just like he did Nicodemus. But here's what he was saying to Nicodemus. He's saying, no matter how much self-effort, Nicodemus, you put into being good, no matter how many religious rules and ceremonies and rituals you have, you will never see the kingdom of God 
that way. That isn't the way you get into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus the whole breakdown of his self-effort, self-righteous system of trying to earn and be good enough for God's salvation. Jesus is telling him, Nicodemus, you're, you're a religious leader. You ought to know this. You're, whole, you're, you're part of that whole human family that has fallen into the same sinful ways that Adam and Eve set in motion. And no matter how many religious rules or rituals you keep, you can never get rid of your sins. You have to be born again to get into the kingdom of God. You need a new birth into a new family tree, Nicodemus, a new human race. And so in verse 4, Nicodemus says, well, what do you mean? How can an old man like me go back into his mother's womb and be born again? You see, Nicodemus is still thinking in terms of natural biology, natural birth. Verse 5, Jesus answers by flat out describing for him the experience of being born again. And let's listen closely to this because Jesus, from his own lips, is telling you and I what the experience is like for a person to be born again. He says this, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. Now, all through the scripture, water is a symbol of the inward cleansing that God does in the human heart, cleansing the heart from sin. So no one can enter the kingdom of God without that inward cleansing of the human heart and, by being, and being born of the Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Paul was probably thinking of this very statement that Jesus made when he wrote this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. And remember that the Apostle Paul was another Pharisee, okay? He probably, probably knew Nicodemus. But anyhow, this is what Paul says. God saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So it's by opening up our hearts and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in that we enter into an entirely new world. Now, verse number six, Jesus says this to Nicodemus, humans can reproduce only human life, physical biology. And that's wonderful. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. That's I guess, spiritual biology. And so he says in verse 7, so Nicodemus, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. But maybe Nicodemus is saying, but I can't, I can see physical birth. I mean, five senses, we're in touch with the world. I can see that. But this thing, spiritual birth, that's very nebulous, it's very vague. And you know, isn't it true for most of us a lot of times when we talk about spiritual things, they don't seem real? They seem sort of vague. I think Nicodemus was right there. Jesus gives him a perfect illustration to help him see that spiritual birth is a very, very, very real thing. Verse number eight, the wind blows wherever it wants, 
Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. One thing that I don't have to tell Chicago people about is the reality of the wind. It's a windy city. Uh, But even Tom Skilling at WGN News has never seen the wind. All that he has seen and tells us about every night is the effects of the wind. And it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. No one in here has seen the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying, if you open your heart, you can certainly feel his power. You will feel his effects. And that's what new birth into this whole new world and this whole new family, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that the same God who can create the miracle and wonder of physical birth in the family tree of Adam can certainly also perform a spiritual birth inside of us that gives us a new life in the new family of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. John had said something very similar to this in his opening statements to this whole book. This is what he says. But to all who believed him, that is Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or, or a human plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now, I don't think there's anything so exciting in this natural world of ours as, as seeing the birth of a baby and seeing that little one grow up. Just stop and think about it for a second. You have a little person who was absolutely non-existent. Zip, not a zero. Nine months before. No such being, no such, just wasn't there. Conception. We have a little human being on the way. Nine months later, we have this little, wonderful, conscious little person that comes into the world and everything is new for them. They engage the world. Now, when our kids were born, and we, when they were real little, and I do the same thing with our grandkids, I would pick them up and walk around the house and take every picture we had hanging in the house. And I would just start pointing out all the stuff. Look, look, look! And I would, I would be excited about it. And their eyes are open. They're just catching all these things for the first time. I'd take them over to the windows. I'd say, Hey, look! Let's let's see what the, are, are there any birds out there? Any dogs? Any? I'd even throw elephants and lions and tigers and bears in once in a while, you know, just to build the excitement. But they're engaging the world. We just had a couple weeks with our uh, youngest, two youngest grandkids. They were here for about two weeks with us, and I was doing the same thing with them. Uh, Little Archie, he's two years old now, and man, he's going crazy in life. Uh, He showed me a couple things he could do. He showed me how high he could jump, and this is what he did, okay? He would get down, like he would squat all the way down like this, as he could go, and then all of a sudden, he'd just pop up as high as he could go. I'm not going to try it, <laughs> okay, but, <laughs> but he was doing it, uh, and then uh, another trick he had was uh, he would uh, fall under the floor with his, and catch himself with his arms, while at the same time kicking his back legs up into the air, okay, so man, he was, he was going at it. He was strong. He was proud, and then uh, Ada, I got to take her miniature golfing for the first time ever in her life. And I'll tell you what, 18 holes, a miniature golf at Downers Grove at the recreation, 
I haven't had such a great time in a long, long time as I just let her play. I didn't play. And, uh, but we had a great character laughing and and then we went over to Oberweiss and had ice cream after that. <laughs> I always think of every excuse I can get to go to Oberweiss. And uh, anyhow, I went the next day with her too. I mean, we had some other thing going. So anyway, uh, but here's the thing. You know what I love most of all about that time I spent with my grandkids? We played on the floor, all kinds of Here's what I love the most. That a whole new relationship is happening between us. They're getting to know me. And I'm, you know, they're, as the, the wonder of the world opens up to them, they're, the natural world, they're getting to know me, their granddad. And that, to me, is one of the highest values in my whole life. It's, 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 it's so very deep. And here's what I want to say. If God can bring little people like that into a brand new physical world of wonder then he certainly has the creative power to bring us older but messed up and broken people from this family of Adam into a new, healed, restored life through the miracle of what Jesus is talking about here, the miracle of a spiritual birth. And the greatest thing about that new spiritual reality that opens up to us is the wonder of an awareness of a heavenly father who enjoys nothing more than being our father and having you as his child to care for you, to help you all the way from your infancy in faith, all the way to growing to maturity in your faith. And and that heavenly father is there to heal your owies, okay? He's there to heal the big owies that come in life, and there's some big ones that come. And he's to help us He wants us to explore the wonder of that relationship. How many of you have seen that movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? The new make on that. Hey, I'd recommend it. That's a great movie. It's about this guy that was just living a routine, dead, unaware life, doing the same old crazy thing every single day. He wakes up to the wonder of life, and then you go on all these adventures with him. That's... That's just a little bit of an idea of what it is to be born again into the wonder, the awakening of the reality of God. You know, we don't have to live our lives thinking that God is this remote, unknowable being somewhere. He's up close. And the way to know that is through being born again by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in verses 10 to 12, Jesus, I'm just going to summarize what Jesus says there. Because in verse 9, Nicodemus says, well, how are these things possible? And Jesus says, I mean, you're a religious teacher, Nicodemus, and you don't know the answer to this question? I think Nicodemus was so wrapped up in defining reality by his five senses that he just could not grasp that the reality of the kingdom of God. In verse number 13, Jesus says this. He says, No one has ever gone up into heaven and come back to tell us about the kingdom of God. You know, wouldn't that be great if you know, you, there was someone here in the room today that said, Hey, you know what? I, you know, I've been there, and I've come back to tell you it's really there. That hasn't happened. 
But Jesus goes on to say something far better than that has happened. He says to Nicodemus, I, the Son of Man. That means God who is now in a human body, part of the human family. I have come from heaven. And I've come to tell you that it's real. And then Jesus tells him, beginning in verse 14, how he can be born again. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That almost sounds like another non sequitur, doesn't it? I mean, what, what is he? He's now, what's he talking about here? Well, Nicodemus would have known very well what he was talking about because he's talking about those days in the Old Testament when Moses was leading the people of Israel toward the promised land. The people of Israel, man, they fell into some horrible sinning. And they were persisting in their sin. They wouldn't stop. And so, as sort of an illustration of the deadliness and the poisonness of sin, God allowed a bunch of snakes, poisonous snakes, to come slithering and crawling into the camp of Israel. And a lot of people got bit, and they started to die. And that's, again, making the point that sin is serious business. The scriptures say that uh, the wages of sin is death. It's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. It's dying on the inside. People started crying out to Moses, help us. And God told Moses, well, I want you to take some bronze metal and I want you to shape that metal into the form of a snake, just like the snakes crawling around on the ground here. I want you to hang it up on a pole in the center of the camp and then tell the people to Fix their gaze, not just a glance. Fix their gaze on that snake that is lifted up on that pole. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that there's a day coming when he, the sinless son of man, will be lifted up on a cross and he's going to absorb all the poison of humanity's sins so that we can be forgiven of our sins and healed from the wounds and the poison of sin, even the sin we inflict on each other. And in verse 15, Jesus says, says, so that everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Now, here's the wonder of that, that sin being so horrible as it is to God. Can you imagine? God is totally holy. He's absolutely without sin. The scripture says he's like a white consuming fire. Absolutely no impurity in God. Which means that even the slightest impurity, even the slightest sin in your life or mine, it, it, it's, we can't even imagine how horrible that is in the sight of a holy God. So how could a God like that, who's so repulsed by sin, how is it that he would come into this world to die for the sins of all humanity? Why would he do that? Verse number 16. New Living Translation says it this way. For this is how God loved the world. Other translations more familiar. For God so loved the world. With that emphasis on the word so, Louis Giglio last week in the message, he emphasized that point, that God could have said he just loves the world. True. But 
It's more than that. He so loves this world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. That, what does it mean to perish right there? It means to live, for a person to live eternally in their sins, losing their human identity and having it replaced by being shaped and molded into the image of Satan, into the, into the, image, the personification of evil. That's, and I don't think there's anybody in this room that wants to be on that path in their life, moving away from God toward ultimately being defined by evil. We don't have to be on that path because Jesus goes on to say, if we believe in him, we need not perish, but we can have eternal life. What is eternal life? Well, it's the very same life that God himself has. And I don't think it would be possible to be more alive and more in touch with reality than having God share his own life with you. That's what what happens when you're born again by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord has given us a window of opportunity, given Nicodemus a, a window of opportunity here. And that's what he goes on to say in verses 17 to 21. Listen to what he says. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That means Jesus came here because he doesn't want any human being to die in their sins and go off into their eternity on that path I just described. He came and he died for every human being, no matter what their sins might be, so that there's another path opened up. Let's look at verse number 18. This is pretty serious right here. It says that this is pretty wonderful right here. It gets serious in a second. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. That's good news. That is the good news. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation from God for any person that has come to faith in Jesus Christ. But, he says, anyone who does not believe in him, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Sometimes people will say, hey, all paths lead to God. And it doesn't matter really what kind of a God or who that God is that you place your faith in. It doesn't really matter as long as you are really sincere and you really seek to live up to the tenets of that faith system. But that, that's a huge error. It's really the same error that Nicodemus is making. Thinking that by our own efforts. But the scripture says that it's only by believing in God's one and only son that we find everlasting life. And if we don't believe, then we, we forfeit our future with God. Verse number 19 says this, and, the, and that judgment that the Lord's talking about is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. I think that's one of the strangest things in the world, but it's, it just it tells us how deep 
the pattern of sin is, is woven into the human nature. It tells us how big the problem is. That even though Jesus came into the world, and he is the light of God, and he is the salvation of God for us all, there are a lot of people who just flat out say, I don't want anything to do with that. And they sort of dismiss Jesus. They cast him on the side and try to pursue their way into the future on their own. It's the biggest mistake, and it's really the most foolish mistake that any human being can ever make. Verse 21, But those who do what is right, they come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. Now, we don't have Nicodemus' response anywhere here in the third chapter. We, we don't, it's not even recorded. But we do know later on that Nicodemus did come to faith in Christ. He took these things, he reflected on them, and finally he embraced Jesus as Savior, and he was born again. So the, the question for you this morning, and for me, is, uh, well, what about you? You know, there are two common barriers that I think people run up against when it comes to putting their faith in Jesus in the way I've talked about this morning. The first one is this. Some people say, well, say like Nicodemus, I'm doing the best I can to be good enough for God to enter the kingdom of God. But no matter how good, all of us have still sinned. And if being good could earn our own salvation then we don't need Jesus. We don't need him to come into the world. We don't need him to go to the cross. It's not necessary. The second barrier is this. And someone here might even say this morning, well, okay, this whole sin thing, that's exactly what my problem is. My sins are too extreme for God to ever forgive me. I don't think I deserve to be forgiven. I don't think God would really want a person like me to be in their family, to be in his family. You know, I think it's a strange thing is sometimes we human beings, we set up this whole sin thing on a scale of like a scale of one to ten. Uh, and we get this idea that, well, that God can forgive sins from one through seven, okay? Those are forgivable. But... If you happen to be a person that has sinned like in an 8, a 9, or a 10, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that's too much damage. That, that's, that's, that's going too far. But what did Jesus say about that? In the words that he just shared with Nicodemus, he said, For God so loved the world <clears throat> that everyone, whosoever, believes in him, so I don't know if there's anyone sitting in here this morning with some sort of horrible sin that's sitting on the radar, right, you know, right in front of your mind right now, and it's, it's keeping you from saying, I could, never, I could never commit myself to Christ because he wouldn't want me to. Here's what I want you to know, and here's what Jesus wants you to know. That that very horrible sin, Jesus took that sin to the cross for you as though he was the one who committed that sin instead of you. Do you catch that? Do you see that this morning? 
That's what the cross means. The scripture says, he who knew no sin, he became sin so that we, we could be forgiven. So that, when we come to communion here in a few moments, hey, that, this, is what a, this is what we're celebrating. This is what we're refocusing on. This is our deepest gratitude in life. That he took every sin, the whole scale, and he took the blame as though he committed it all so that you and I, every, everybody who will receive him, can be set free from their sin, healed from their guilt. And then he comes into that person's life and he begins to, by his power, enable you to clean up your life. Get, begin to break down all those old patterns of sin and those old habits and those old addictions. He comes in and he starts to give us his power to, to move forward and find more and more freedom in him. Now, if you're a Christ follower here today, and I know the majority of you are already following Christ, you've already been born into the kingdom of God, but there's a couple questions for you. <clears throat> are you still growing and maturing? Or have you gotten stuck? There is such a thing. I had a counselor here a couple of weeks ago who talked about arrested spiritual development. How we Christians sometimes, maybe through a trauma or a problem or just simple <laughs> drifting, we lose the wonder of this new spiritual life and reality that God has given us. So I want to ask every Christian this morning. In fact, I think Jesus, he's the one who gets, cuts through all the, you know, all the clutter. And I believe he's asking every single one of us in here this morning, including me, do you still have... Are you still living with the wonder, the wonder of, of the new life, the wonder of knowing me? Has the word of, does the word of God still just captivate your soul and your heart? Does being in a worship gathering like this on Sunday, is it something you can't wait to get here for? I could go down a whole list of questions here. Are our hearts, do we have the wonder of what it means to know Jesus Christ? And is that just flowing in our hearts and flowing out of our lives? Well, some, you might say, well, Pastor Jim, I mean, I used to have the wonder. But then if you knew, what, if you knew what's going on in my life, if you knew the, the blows that have just knocked me down, if you knew this had happened or this had happened, if you knew, if you knew this, then you would understand why I just don't have any wonder anymore. I'm sort of numbed and I'm sort of disillusioned. But you know what? It's, it's in those times when we as his people must all the more take hold of who we are. We sang that song a little bit ago. Who we are. We have a good, good father. That's who he is. And who we are is we are loved by him. Every single moment. His mercies are new every single day. No matter what happened on Tuesday. We get up on Wednesday morning. His grace and his mercies, they are fresh. They are new. They're there for you that day to draw upon so that we don't lose the wonder. We don't drift away. We stay, we, we stay the people of God. So... The challenge for every follower of Christ here today is 
a daily renewing of our confidence and our faith and our identity and our trust in him. And we celebrate all these things as we come to communion this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your word. You are a faithful God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and paid the price. And you took every sin of every human being. You took our sins so that we could get rid of that burden and we could get rid of the guilt and and find a brand new life, a new identity in Jesus Christ, being part of your family, your spiritual family. And I pray, Lord, for any person in this room today that has never placed their faith in you in the way you have just described I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will press this in upon their hearts, that you will cut down through and confront their heart like you did Nicodemus. And I pray, Lord, that before they walk out of here today, they will have committed their life to you, placed their faith in you, and experienced this brand new spiritual biology, this spiritual life and birth that we're talking about here today. Lord, I pray that will happen in this very room this morning, in several people's lives. And Lord, I pray for every follower of Christ here today. I pray, God, that you will restore the joy of our salvation. Help us to stand. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's how we live. That's how we walk. And Lord, we declare that faith in him this morning. So, Father, as we come to communion today, and we thank you that you sent your one and only Son, Lord, we come to worship him. He has a name that is above every name that exists on the earth, under the earth, above the earth. It's at his name our knees bow today and our tongues confess that Jesus Christ, he is the Lord, he is the Savior. So Father, receive our gratitude as we come to communion together here today and fill this room with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen, amen.